I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at Revelation chapters 9 through 12. Before we begin reading chapter 9, let's get some um, a little review of what we've been in Revelation to this point. Chapter 1 was our introduction to the book of Revelation. Chapters 2 and 3, we found a history of the seven churches that existed in Asia Minor. Nothing prophetical in those chapters. It was the admonition to the churches that really existed in Asia Minor during that period of time. In chapters 4 and 5, we find what takes place in heaven after the rapture of the church. So nothing on earth in chapters 4 and 5. Now, I'm convinced that the first incidents that take place on earth are in chapter 6, where we find the six seal judgments. These encompass the first half of the tribulation. Chapter 7 is what we call a parenthetical chapter that explains the presence of the 144,000 Jewish men who were witnesses during the entire tribulation period. We have the resumption of the timeline in chapter 8, where we find the opening of the seventh seal judgment, and that begins the second half of the tribulation. The seventh seal seems to contain seven more judgments that are called the trumpet judgments. The first four trumpet judgments are detailed here in chapter 8. Now we come to the fifth trumpet judgment, and that begins with Revelation chapter 9, and it comes with some critters of some sort. Let's begin reading today with verse 1 of chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven into the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locust upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were likened to horses prepared into battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails likened to scorpions, and their stings in their tails, and their powers to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollaon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. 
Revelation chapter 8, verse 13, had mentioned three woes that were to come. These woes, as it turns out, are the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgments. The woe terminology seems to indicate the traumatic impact of these three judgments. Notice verse 12 in this passage that the first woe is equivalent to the fifth trumpet judgment. So the fifth angel introduces a star who opens up a hole in the earth, and these wicked-looking little creatures, generally described as locusts or grasshoppers, they ascend out of this pit, out of this hole. That star is personified in verse 2. Notice what Jesus said about Satan in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, and I read, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. It seems relatively safe to conclude that Satan is the star and holds the key to the bottomless pit. So, what is this bottomless pit? Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 40. Whereas Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you study the notes on Matthew chapter 12, 40, I think you'll conclude with me that this bottomless pit is a reference to Hades. The demons of Luke chapter 8, verse 31, made a request of Jesus, and here's what they said. And they besought him that he would not command them to go into the deep. Apparently there's a corridor leading to Hades that reaches the surface of the earth somewhere. But to this point, that corridor has been sealed. Jesus himself holds the key to this bottomless pit according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. It says there, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So it appears that Jesus gives the key of the bottomless pit to the star for the purpose of releasing these creatures. That's the fifth trumpet judgment. These loosed creatures only sting the bad people, and those are the men who have not the seal of God in their foreheads. On earth, they don't bother the saved people. They are intelligent little beings with organized leadership. Actually, Abaddon is used in the Old Testament a half dozen times in conjunction with Sheol and is translated destruction. Moreover, the sting of these critters is so painful, those who are stung will want to die, but the sting is just really not fatal. Suicide attempts after the sting will be unsuccessful. You also notice that they do not harm the vegetation on the land. This misery upon the wicked lasts for five whole months. Then we have the sixth trumpet judgment. comes with a huge army of something. Verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth, and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed, 
by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for the tails were likened to serpents, and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, and idols of gold, and silver, and brass, and stone, and of wood, which neither can see, nor hear, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor of their thefts. Are these um, things that are loosed by the angel out of the sixth trumpet human, or are they supernatural? You must admit they're way scary-looking, supernatural, I think, all 200 million of them. It doesn't seem to be the description of any army of humans, as some people teach. However, even some of the leading Bible scholars in the area of Bible prophecy, such as John Walford, who wrote every prophecy of the Bible, they're open to the possibility that this represents an incredibly large East Asian army of humans, despite their supernatural-sounding description. Whichever, they kill one-third of the wicked people on earth. But do the remaining people on earth repent because of the supernatural judgment of God? Well, no. This is that second woe, but it is not stated as such until we get down to chapter 11, verse 14. Note that these angels were loosed at a specific time. Their purpose was to slay one-third of the remaining inhabitants of the earth, with one-fourth having been slain as a result of the fourth seal of Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. This additional one-third leaves about half the original population. With this assault on the ungodly, and keep in mind that it is an assault on the ungodly, why won't these people choose to turn to God? Well, it's because of this. Salvation is not about a grasp of the facts. Salvation is about faith. Psalm 10.4 says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you see, it's a rejection of faith is the reason the folks don't get saved. Then in chapter 10, we have a little intermission. Verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set the right foot upon the sea, and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angels which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, and lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, 
Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. At this point, John has an episode with an angel presenting a scroll when he hears seven thunders. John hears audible words from these seven thunders of the angel's voice. Apparently, there are judgments associated with these thunders, much like the seal, trumpet, and vial judgments. However, John is told not to write about the seven thunders, so he didn't. We don't know anything about their prophetic content. Likewise, the scroll was obviously more bad tribulation news. The fact that it was sweet to the mouth and bitter to the stomach, meaning indigestion, perhaps is an indicator that sometimes good-sounding news turns out not to be so good. This angel swears by God in verses 5 and 6. The Greek phrase there literally reads in verse 6 that there should be time no longer. That does not speak of the suspension of time. It literally means because time is not to be longer. The tribulation, in other words, is drawing to a close. This seventh angel referenced here in verse 7 actually sounds in Revelation chapter 11 verses 15 through 19. He introduces the seven vile judgments, sometimes referred to as bold judgments. The Greek word can be translated either way. The intensity of these vile judgments would dictate that they occur in the last few days of the tribulation period. At that point, the text reads that the mystery of God should be finished. Daniel wrote in Daniel 9.24, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish their transgression and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Daniel's prophecy is fulfilled at the end of the tribulation, when the vision will have been sealed up. This passage sets up the tough times that are to uh, follow in the tribulation in the successive chapters. While John does say in chapter 10, verse 1, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, this is not the seventh angel with the seventh trumpet judgment. That seventh angel is clearly first introduced in chapter 11, verse 15. This angel is also not Jesus Christ. The word another is from the Greek word alas, which means another that is similar. Whatever his mission, it is worldwide in scope. It is worth noting that Ezekiel receives his prophecy to the exiled Jews in Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 1 through a scroll that he was directed to eat. Ezekiel's scroll was sweet to the taste but did not give him indigestion as seen here in verse 10. He was told to take the words and go prophesy to the exiles. His prophecy to them involved exposing their wickedness with an appeal for them to repent. That brings us to chapter 11 where we have two witnesses. Verse 1. 
And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Let's uh, outline a brief table for the tribulation. The rapture precedes the period of seven years. This is known as the pre-tribulation rapture position, the position that I hold. The seven-year tribulation period coincides with Daniel's 70th week in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. The first three and a half years of the tribulation are relatively peaceful while the Antichrist gains influence in the world. There is an attack at the midpoint led by northern aggressors, and they are subsequently defeated. The Antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13 that we call the Antichrist, will establish himself as the God to be worshipped right there in the temple. That's also described in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, detailed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and referred to by Christ in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. And then we find that the last three and a half years are very severe, occupied by the manifestation of the trumpet and vile judgments. The time period of three and a half years is 1260 days, or 42 30-day lunar months, the way that Jews rendered their calendars. The first portion of chapter 11 doesn't flow with the chronology of the trumpet judgments. We're still in that intermission thing that began back in the beginning of chapter 10. The chronology resumes in chapter 11, verse 15, which we'll get to in just a few moments. In verses 1 to 14 of this chapter, we have two witnesses that prophesy 
for 1260 days or a period of three and a half years. So here's the question. Is that the first half of the tribulation or is it the last half of the tribulation? Or perhaps it overlaps the two. It's kind of difficult to nail down. However, I've concluded that this period probably coincides with the last half of the tribulation. The Bible doesn't say for certain, so we really don't know. Identifying the two witnesses is a little easier. It would be Elijah and Moses. The acts done by these two witnesses are those previously performed by those two prophets. Also, at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, it was Elijah and Moses who appeared with Jesus. Now, there are those that insist that Enoch, not Moses, must be the other witness. They believe that based upon the fact that both Elijah and Enoch were caught up without dying. However, keep this in mind. With the rapture having taken place prior to the tribulation, there will be a whole host of people in heaven who will not have died previously. Therefore, I'm going to stick with the Mount of Transfiguration crew, and that would be Moses and Elijah. These two witnesses have powers. They issue a deadly fire toward their enemies, and they have power over the weather and the water supply, and they can smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will, it says in the passage. Oh, one more thing. Elijah is prophesied in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, as the one to precede the coming of the Messiah. Well, this is obviously preceding the coming of the Messiah. Jerusalem is the holy city in this passage, and at this point is still the domain of Gentiles today, including the temple area. The Antichrist kills them and leaves them in the streets. There's a celebration involving the giving of gifts at their deaths. After three days, they are resurrected and taken up right in view of their enemies, followed by an earthquake which kills 7,000 people. The saved in the tribulation, the remnant that we find here, rejoice at the sight of their resurrection. If their prophesying is to take place within the second half of the tribulation, they will need to get a start in their prophetic ministry prior to the abomination of desolation to allow the days necessary for their deaths and the resurrection prior to the battle of Armageddon, which we find in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. It could be that the mention of 1260 causes us to feel that we must force their ministry exactly into one half or the other of the tribulation, when it really probably starts just prior to the abomination of desolation in Daniel 9.24 and Matthew 24.15. As a matter of fact, the introduction of the seventh trumpet judgment in uh, chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, has an earthquake associated with it in verse 19. Due to the severity of the judgments associated with the seventh trumpet, it, it includes the seven vile judgments, which we'll see later, it seems logical to assume that these seven vile judgments are closing in on the end of the tribulation period, perhaps within just a few days. The best fit seems to be to place the death and resurrection of these two witnesses here, perhaps a few days before the end of the tribulation itself. If that's the case, their prophetic ministry will begin a few days before the midpoint of the tribulation, 
and end a little while before the Battle of Armageddon. There's another reference to three and a half years in this passage in verse 2 regarding the temple that will exist during the tribulation. Again, does this three and a half years coincide exactly with the last half of the tribulation? Perhaps not. But the linkage to verse 3 would suggest that this period does coincide with that of the two witnesses prophesying. This temple is definitely not the millennial temple described in Ezekiel chapters 40 and 41. Ezekiel's temple won't actually even fit on the existing real estate. That being the case, this temple has to go before the millennial temple of Ezekiel is to be built. Perhaps the earthquake of Revelation 11 verse 19 takes that out, the existing temple during the tribulation as well. In verse 14, the chronology resumes, though for a short time, and we are told that the second woe is completed, awaiting the third and last woe. Therefore, that second woe was obviously the judgment of the sixth trumpet angel that we saw outlined in Revelation chapter 9 verses 13 to 21. And that brings us to the seventh trumpet judgment in verses 15 through 19 of Revelation chapter 11. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power, and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Verse 15 here introduces the seventh trumpet angel who declares that the end of the tribulation is now in sight and that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is nearing being established on the earth. This will be the culmination of all the Old Testament prophecy concerning the messianic kingdom. This will be the fulfillment of the Davidic Covenant. See my notes on BibleTrack.org on the main page on the uh, details of the Davidic Covenant. We saw these 24 elders first listed in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. The seventh trumpet judgment is shown here, but without any cataclysmic consequences on earth. It seems likely that this seventh trumpet must be the introduction of the seven vile or bold judgments that follow just as the seventh seal judgment appears to introduce all of the trumpet judgments. We get a summary of the last few days before the end of the tribulation in these verses. Also, we get a glimpse of the real temple in heaven in this passage, the presence of which is confirmed by Paul in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 28. I'm convinced that this event marks the last few days before the end of the tribulation. You'll see that the vile judgments are so severe, all described in Revelation 16, by the way, that the earth will be reeling from their effects. We're getting ready to see the final battle at the end of the tribulation, but we'll have to wait until Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, to actually see that final battle.
In chapter 12, we have a history lesson, a history of the conflict. Verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God, and to his throne. And the throne fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea! For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her sea, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, here's another chapter that just does not fit into the chronology of the book of Revelation that began in chapter 6 and ends with chapter 19. We call this a parenthetical chapter. These first six verses summarize the conflict between Israel and Satan. The woman here is obviously Israel. Recall the dream that Joseph had back in Genesis chapter 37 verse 9, which says, And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Yup, the woman here is definitely Israel. The baby here is Jesus who was born out of Israel. The dragon in this passage is Satan, and we have a description of Satan incarnate. It's the one found in Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and also Revelation chapter 13, where we find the beast, also known as the Antichrist by us. The stars of heaven are fallen angels along with the description of their fall, which is expanded in verses 7 through 9. That part of this passage is historical. 
Verse 4 is an obvious reference to Herod's attempt to destroy the Messiah by having the baby slain in Matthew chapter 2. The yet future Messiah references are found in verses 5 and 6 in this passage, which happen to coincide with Old Testament prophecy. One such prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, which says, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, there's your ruling in Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. The ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 is referenced also here in verse 5, where the Acts account reads, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come again in like manner, as you have seen him go into heaven. The fact that the woman flees into the wilderness here characterizes the last half of the tribulation, a time, a times, and half a time, rendered as time being one year, times being two years, and half a time being six months, that totaling three and a half years, as described by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 51, where there he was describing the last half of the tribulation. Chapter 12 fits cleanly into the prophecy by Jesus described in those verses in Matthew chapter 24. Incidentally, many prophecy teachers feel strongly that the exact place to which the remnant of Israel will flee is east on the other side of the Dead Sea into the mountainous region of Basra, which is current-day Jordan. This position is based upon Micah chapter 2, verse 12. Go see my notes there to get more details, and that scenario seems quite likely. Micah was referenced in verse 7, just as he is in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. In that passage, it says the following, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. We see in this passage Israel surviving the tribulation, even though being heavily pursued by Satan himself, having assumed the human form of the beast, the man we know as the Antichrist, Revelation chapter 13. God will miraculously deliver Israel out of the tribulation. So chapter 12 begins in heaven before the Garden of Eden and explains Satan's malicious tirade through the centuries all the way to the end of the tribulation. And this sets up the Battle of Armageddon. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walter.